1: So Ryan, let's go mailbag. And we don't have a lot, so we're kind of still trying to find some. But most, we we don't a lot of comments, but we're looking for some questions as we get to this mailbag. So we'll we'll get to those as well. We'll start off with a little super chat from FUSCND88. Haven't seen the chat for a while, man. So good to see you. It's okay, fellas, uh, Dakovi here got surprised with tickets to the Marshall game this weekend. That's awesome. Uh, from his wife for his birthday. That's a pretty awesome wife thing to do right there. One question. I need a top five eateries around South Bend, breakfast and pizza spots preferred, please. Okay. So, breakfast spots, a lot of people have given you. I'll just tell you my two favorite breakfast spots. Number one, the Pancake House, which is over by Notre Dame's, pretty good. Uh, there's another place, Metro Diner, which is off of University and Maine. Which is in Mishawaka. It's not very far from campus. It's like less than 10 minutes from campus. It's over by the Target. It's called a Metro Diner. That's also really good. That's actually my wife's favorite place. I if I want pancakes, I go to the pancake house, obviously. But if you're more, if your breakfast is more of like a, you know, you like eggs and hash browns and bacon and stuff like that. I actually like the metro diner even more than a pancake house. I like their other stuff better. But pancake house has really good pancakes. And pancake house other stuff is pretty good too. But those are my two favorite breakfast places. We go to a place called Copper Creek over by our house. It's okay, uh, but it's just that's more about a matter of convenience than it is about it being the best breakfast place. Because that stuff's all a little bit of a ways away from where we live. It's like 20. I mean, it's not that far. It's like 20 minutes away. But uh, we don't often have time to spend 40 minutes in a car going to have breakfast. We're usually pretty busy. Pizza places. My two favorite, and there's a lot, Barnaby's, people talk about Barnaby's. I'll just tell you what my two favorite pizza places are. Number one is Rocco's, which is hard to get into. It's like kind of a a destination spot for people when they come in town. So it can be harder to get into there if you don't have a reservation. Uh, the other place, I my favorite pizza place in town, flat out, no doubt about it, is Polito's, which is over on Hickory. It's not far from campus. It's over off Hickory and McKinley. And it is this little tiny place it's right beside the it's in between like a shopping center and a lot long john's or uh what's it called long john silver is that what you call it right okay that yep. kind of place and uh it's right there and it is great pizza it's like kind of like new york style pizza uh, we get the pizza from there it's great it's cheesy it's bready my wife is a pizza snob she is born in long island she thinks the only way to do pizza is the way that new yorkers do pizza and she loves their pizza The other thing they do is they make, like, sandwiches. So, like, they'll, like, do a meatball sandwich. But the thing is, the bread is actually pizza crust. So, it's like pizza dough, I mean. So, like, they actually cook their sandwiches in pizza dough. And it's really good. So, we get a – what I do is I get a – I get the meatball sandwich, but I get it without the sauce because the sauce can get really, like, make the bread soggy. And so, I get it cooked without the sauce. And this is the Mott's and all that. And then I just kind of pour the sauce on when I'm ready to eat it. But their sandwich is really good. And really good people – local place uh you know mom and her son are the main ones that run it really good people really good pizza so if you're in town this weekend do Politos. definitely do Politos. uh great great pizza again it's not the ambiance they don't have like notre dame stuff all over like rocco's but it's if you're talking about a good pizza place and supporting a local business definitely want to do Politos. that's my place to be anytime we're over on that part of town ryan like um, uh, like sometimes if i'm gonna if i need to you know go buy some new ammo there's like a place over there i'll just like oh honey i'm gonna go over there why because it's right by Politos. oh while well, i'm over there i might as well go ahead and get Politos, right and take some Politos home uh so i'm always looking for excuses to get over there but it's a, it's that kind of place it's a really good place so uh, safe travels coming in by the way and then ryan of course that's a good advice for you and the fam when you're in town this weekend if you guys are looking for either one of those things as well i'm taking mental notes right now man yes taking there mental you go on there this. you go yep.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Getting the mental reps on food. All right. C-Mac asks, because Brian, I know Spindler hasn't played, uh, but we've seen Lug and Kristovic and Corell. And when does he stand? Just play the young O line. So I want to say two things about this. Yep. Because there's a lot of comments from the chat, and and what was expected, right? I mean, that's just kind of what it is. And I love the passion people have because their passion is why they come back and watch a show every day. But I also think that we need to be too a little cautious about making overreactions one way or the other from a game. And it, that, and we said this. We said this before the game. We said, win or lose, don't overreact too much to a game. And did the offensive line disappoint? Heck yes. There's no spin here. There's no justification for how they played. They played bad. It's end of statement. There's no buts. There's nothing. They played bad. Right now, the butt comes from big picture, but it was one game. Right. And so if they come out against Marshall Ryan and they still don't play well or mm-hmm. relative to the competition, then that's a problem. But I'm not overreacting because here's the thing: for for especially for like lug and especially Corell, he earned this job over the course of a, a whole offseason. Yes. And so one bad game should not be okay, you're out, unless he doesn't respond to that bad game well. And this is what we talked about this weekend. If he comes out and he's kind of moping and in his feelings and sad and you know not practicing well okay dude you got to get out of here right like you know you can't have you in the lineup but if he as long as he mentally responds well he's mad at himself but he's like i gotta fix these mistakes and goes out and puts into work that's where i'm that's where i'm that's where you stick with it right now are all those guys kind of being put on notice yes they should all be put on notice but from everything we've been told there wasn't really a close competition for that next spot Mm-hmm. and so you're just not going to make a change because of one bad game now over the next three games i am really wanting to see what these guys do because i will be willing to make a change going into byu if guys don't play better if i'm harry stand yeah, maybe even going into north carolina if guys aren't playing better like especially because like you said right these aren't rookies yeah these aren't f- sophomores like if joe alt and blake fisher played poorly i could have been like you know what I don't it's like it. Fun. It's not good. But you know, Blake, right. like Blake, that was his third career start. I mean, if you think about Blake Fisher, his three starts are Florida State, and Jermaine Johnson, first round pick, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State and Ohio State. That kid's been thrown to the fire. I want to see what he does against someone who he's clearly the far superior player against. Yeah. I want to see him step up and play well, but you could expect it from them. There's no excuse for Kristoffic and especially Corell and Lug to play as poorly as they did. None. And so yeah. I want to see I want to see them play better now if they don't i'm I'm gonna be willing to make a move relatively quickly
2: you you said put on notice Brian I think that's a perfect way to put it right it's you have two guys in that conversation that are fourth year players and another one that is a sixth year player like it's 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 you can't make excuses for it anymore like you can't like it's 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 put up or shut up time like that's what it is right so the fact of the matter is that Jared Patterson is going to be back in the future, right? Like, hes it, is it going to be for this game? Who knows? But either way, he is going to be back, and you have other talented players in the room. It's just about – it's a trust thing at the end of the day too, right? I mean, because one thing that we need to not be too hyperbolic with is that we just watched one single football game, right? Right. How many hours has Harry Heastan spent with this offensive line throughout the spring, summer, and fall practice, right? Like he has seen this these players on a day-to-day basis and seen the work they're putting in and their performance they're putting in on a daily basis. So there needs to be a part of you that says, hey, we maybe need to push back a little bit, take ourselves back, and let's evaluate another game. Let's see how things kind of move forward. But I agree with you. There has to be a notice on this one, right? Because like these guys are... Not first, like this isn't a redshirt freshman that just got his first start and he didn't look that great, right? Like there isn't a ton of time left for these guys, even though I know Corral's got what two more years of eligibility after this one if he wanted to. But like these guys have to play good football or else there are other talented players. So put on notice, I think is a good way to to categorize this, but it's not the let's just throw these guys to the curb. Like let's let's see it. Right. Let's let's see how everything how everything turns out over the next couple weeks.
1: And by the way, the AP Top 25 did come out. I'm actually working on that story now. Notre Dame fell to eighth in the Top 25, so that's actually not bad. Uh, It it clearly shows that they have respect for what Notre Dame did. Uh, Clemson fell to fifth, which I thought was interesting. Ohio State fell to third, but I have a feeling that had a lot more to do with how good Georgia looked than anything about them having an issue with how Ohio State played this weekend. So uh, you also saw Florida go from unranked to 12th. Talk about overreactions from week one. <laughs> uh, Pitt jumped into the top 25 after their sloppy win over West Virginia, which I find comical. Ke- Keenan Slovis, uh, baby. Yeah. Keep it moving. Uh, NC State dropped five spots, which I understand. They barely beat East Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. Wake dropped a spot. Ole Miss. They, they all dropped spots as people jumped in. And then Tennessee jumped into the top 25. So Oregon went from 11th to out of the top 25. So very interesting. Very interesting. And I'm surprised Texas didn't jump in, to be completely honest with you. I thought Texas would have jumped in uh, after a relatively convincing win, just to, if for anything else, just to set up a, a top 25 matchup this weekend against Alabama. Yep. So Notre Dame is felt of eighth, which is a, a good place to be. Again, these rankings at the end of the day don't matter mm-hmm. because these don't have any rank bearing on the college football playoff. But it is, perception-wise, it's still good to be a top-eight team because, you know, you're going to see some teams ahead of you play each other at some point in time. You play one team ahead of you. And so, you know, A&M plays Bama, for example. A&M is sixth. It's just hilarious. Uh, so, actually, no, Pitt did not jump in, did jump into the top 25. Excuse me. They just stayed put at 17. Sorry.
2: Texas A&M beat who? St- uh, Sam Houston, San right? Sam Houston, 30 yeah. nothing or something like that? Yeah,
1: and it was yeah. an ugly... It was an ugly third and nothing, to be completely yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Uh they they weren't overly impressive, uh, but they're usually not overly impressive, to be completely honest with you. So I'm not surprised by that. But yeah, so Notre Dame, Notre Dame stayed eighth in the ranking. So that's uh that's a good thing. And uh just kind of looking through it now, Michigan State at 14, Arkansas jumped up three spots to 16. So yeah, interesting, interesting top 25. BYU did jump up four spots to 21. Uh, after a convincing win over South Florida, so that's uh, that's the top twenty-five, Ryan. Nice. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll dive into the poll here. So I'm working on getting that article ready for Irish Breakdown. Uh, but again, just back to the point: it's just overreacting, positively, negatively, and positively. Like, okay, Clarence Lewis had a great game, but let's see. You know, he's got to keep building on that, right? Like, you know, Benjamin Morrison had a great game for Ricky. He he's got to build on that. Brandon Joseph's got to. Everybody's got to build on it, and then. You know, do we think Isaiah Foskey is going to go through the year and have no sacks because he played bad in the opener? No, right? It's a game. Now, again, it's time to step up, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not making personnel changes based just on the performance on Saturday unless the only exception is there's two exceptions. One, a kid emotionally doesn't handle his struggles correctly or well. Or Mm -hmm. B, the competition was really, really close going in and – that was the thing that kind of might seal the deal for me. Yeah. Assuming that other kid even played. But in the offensive line, it's not like they put anybody else in in right. the game. They didn't. Alan Watson asked Ryan, Brian and Ryan, I keep seeing that the Irish start strong, but as soon as they get off script, first 20 plays, they seem to struggle. rest of the game is that coaching not being able to adjust on the fly. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that premise. Uh, that, uh, that, that was true early last year. Mm-hmm. But overall, that hasn't been the way. I mean, it certainly wasn't the way that Notre Dame played late last year my opinion right no,
2: i yeah I, I don't really i don't really accept the premise either i'm just trying to like work through to my head like is there been a lot of situations where this has happened alan i'm genuinely asking early last just...
1: season it was something i complained a lot about okay yeah at times last season early you'd see that and and but as the year went on i kind of felt like notre dame kind of really finished well i mean they were much better in the second half against purdue i felt mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. You look at like North Carolina, I thought they were kind of good on offense throughout the game. I thought that Stanford, they kind of did okay on the script, but then did pretty well off of it. So I don't think that's necessarily something that I would agree with the premise. I just, I think, again, I I think they just have to execute better. I mean, there was stuff that they did. They adjusted on the fly. It's just they couldn't protect the quarterback and didn't complete passes.
2: I, I saw problem. someone. It's a problem. Yeah.
1: I, I saw someone say that it happened in
2: the Fiesta Bowl. It it wasn't twenty plays and then they fell off script. Yeah, like I mean, they dominated right. the whole
1: first half. <laughs> right. Like it wasn't just I mean, the only way plays. that could have been is if they scored four touchdowns on the first 15 plays, which actually is kind of close. I mean, you right, know, right. But the sure. point is is again they adjusted, they just didn't execute. Look, the thing is adjustments only work if you have stuff you can adjust to. And when your offensive line doesn't play well, ring a bell, then it's hard to make adjustments. And so to me, that's the big thing for me is I just I'm not ready to kind of jump into this whole, um, you know, oh, they didn't make adjustments and that's why they lost the game thing. It's like they lost the game because they didn't execute. And do they need to be more aggressive? Yeah, I actually think the script was the least aggressive part of what they did against Ohio State. So, uh, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from and there have been times for that, but I just don't think that's necessarily something I would agree with right now, this particular with this particular team, uh, where they are, Meyer 3 asked, "Did Tommy suffer from trying to use every single weapon other than the wide receivers? Obviously, versus committing to one that was working regarding Estime." I keep seeing people say that Estime was working. Estime had twenty one yards on nine carries. I I, I think Audrick Estime is going to be fine, but I'm not looking at Audrick Estime's performance against Ohio State, saying, "Gee, they should have gave him the rock more." Um, I think that they should have given Chris Tyree the rock in different areas. I think the the issue was usage. Neither guy was used overly well, in my opinion. So, I mean, Audrick Estime led all the other running backs in reception and carries, I mean. So, no, I I don't think that the issue was that. I think the issue was I want to see the receivers getting the ball more. I want to see Chris Tyree getting chances on some of these counters and inside zone runs, not just on jet sweeps. I want to see him being used in the screen game and different things like that. So... I think how guys were used was an issue. I don't view it as trying to use every single weapon because some weapons I don't think he used enough. To be honest yeah. with you, uh, so I think the only guy that I thought they they force fed a little too much was Mayer, and and I don't think they did enough to use him as a decoy. That's sure. the thing I didn't I didn't like. There were things that they did if they could have just used him a certain way. Maybe you can open up somebody else. I didn't see that on Saturday. I-
2: I thought that they would be using Michael Mayer more as kind of that seam runner a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of to your point, right? That's kind of like a clear out type of type of idea. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also think that Michael Mayer could do more just generally, generally, yeah. as far as like being a seam runner and kind of threatening that area of the field, second and third levels. And for whatever reason, I, I felt like I just saw a bunch of sit routes, a bunch of curls, you know, that I had him thing. running
1: one route beyond 10 yards the entire game. He ran Ugh. a backside seam route at one point, and that's the only route that I charted him running more than 10 yards. And like, I get it to a degree, Brian, because, because mm-hmm. Michael Mayer
2: is a good yak guy, right? Like he can break mm-hmm. some tackles and do a lot type of stuff, but we just talked about it this all, whole off season. I mean, and I think the staff has talked about it a little bit. The fact of like Michael Mayer can do more than just being a, right. you know, underneath threat. Like he needs to be a seam guy. He needs to work because, what were we talking about? I know that it ended up not coming to fruition that I thought that I, I didn't think the linebackers for Ohio state were overly impressive going into the game. Now, obviously Eichenberg had a good football game. Didn't really mention notice steel chambers a ton, at least kind of just off of my viewing, but I feel like there was stuff that you could have taken advantage of those guys in the passing game, as far as in the scenes and working over the middle of the field. And I, I just honestly did not think that Notre Dame did enough to kind of take advantage of that, you know, and that goes from, the Michael Mayer aspect and also I thought we were going to see a Chris Tyree on an angle route or an option route in the passing game and like you just didn't see it I don't and I'm a little confused on why you know like yeah. I thought that Notre Dame was going to be able to stress the second level a lot more and for whatever reason that just was not the case in this matchup against Ohio State
1: yep and then his follow-up question is uh Am I the only one that with the impression that Buckner wanted to let it rip more? I know you're, I don't think you're, you're definitely not the only one. Cause I, I think we, you could, I think kind of sometimes see Tyler was a little. Frustrated, which I think also is kind of maybe why a couple of the throws he forced. Cause it's like, I'm not yeah. getting a lot of chances to make plays. So when Should I do, have to, I, I have I to, need to do something with it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that's putting more on a kid than, than asking him to do more where he knows, hey, I gotta, I'm going to get chances. I need to make plays, but I'm gonna get chances to make plays. Yep. He knew he needed to make plays and he didn't get a lot of chances to do it. A lot of chances. He got some and he didn't make some, but that's, that's kind of the thing for me is I just, I want to see him get, look, he's a, he's a gunslinger, right? To a degree. Like, and I understand you don't necessarily want to be that all the time. Uh, You know, so I, I just, I I get, I get why they did it to a degree. It's like, you can understand something Mm -hmm. and still not not like it. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so
2: well that, that's like that's like my wife makes a good point sometimes and i'm like nope i still don't accept it i'm sorry like you you made a solid point though but like good case right. but nope still don't accept it sorry right. sorry honey but i mean brian i i mean i agree with you 100 percent because you want to talk about putting too much stress on a on a on a first well not a first year player but a first time starter He's trying to be too perfect, right? right? And I felt like that there were a lot of cases in that. Like, there were a couple of balls that I thought he forced. We talked about uh, – I don't think we talked about it much, but, like, he overthrew – Lorenzo Styles was open down the right sideline. Yeah, for a on a game. wide he fade. Over, yeah. yeah, he overthrew him, and I it, there wasn't even that much pressure on that play. And that's honestly a play where I just think – No, he actually got quiet. hit on that play. Did he get hit on yeah, that Yeah, he got hit
1: on that play. He got drilled. Now, again, he still, he still got to go through the completion route. I mean – Anything, if you get hit, the ball should be underthrown, right? Sure. But uh, he's got to hit that, right? I mean, it's that's going to be part of the growing up process. But he did get hit. That was my only point. He did get hit. Gotcha.
2: Gotcha. Uh, No, but I I still think, regardless, there were some throws where I thought it was a little telegraphed. I thought it was a little forced. Like it was, and that stuff again. If you're only going to get X amount of throws, you're trying to make the most out of your plays, and that's not how you want to be as a quarterback. Sometimes, like it's just. You want to play loose, and I feel like they didn't let Tyler Buckner play loose. That was my biggest criticism yeah. of them.
1: Yep. Let's go to some more questions here. We do have some questions rolling in here. We have one from We Are Not Marshall, uh, Brian and Ryan. Why the training wheels from Reese? Oh, was he seeing this war- that warranted this game? What was he seeing that warranted this game plan? I mean, we we've talked about this a lot, Ryan. I I, I don't yeah. know. We we don't know the answer to that, right? We've talked about it before. This is not a typical time of Reese game plan. This is what yeah. we saw in the bowl game. It's not what we saw against Stanford. It's not what we saw against Georgia Tech, Navy, North Carolina, Ohio State. It's just not – it's a typical Florida State last year. Marcus Freeman has said publicly he dictated what how they wanted to do it because he wanted the, the offense to be used a way to protect the defense. That's just what the head coach said that he wanted. Now, yeah. is that the head coach protecting his staff? I don't know. We'll find out. And so, no, look. Let's see what he does against Marshall and Cal and North Carolina and BYU. And we're really not going to know the answer to this again until we get to the Clemson game. Yes. Because if you felt that way against, you know, I just want to see it. I want to see it. So we can talk about toward blue in the face. I can speculate all we want. We've said everything that needs to be said about that. I I don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. Ryan doesn't know the answer. Marcus Freeman has said it was on him. Is that him being honest or is that him protecting his staff? We don't know the answer to that. Let's see what they do moving forward. All I know is this, whatever your opinion is of Tommy Reese, we all know for a fact that we have seen big games with Tommy Reese as the OC where he was not like that. Going back to Clemson in 2020, both times, because they were very aggressive both times they played Clemson in 2020 with Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. We, he was taking shots down the field early in 2020 in the regular season. They were aggressive. I mean, they got into scoring zone on the first three drives against Clemson in 2020 in the ACC title game. Now, they didn't execute when they got down there, but sure. they. we've never seen this type of lack of aggressiveness from him in the game except for last year or two years ago against Alabama and this Saturday against Ohio State. And it had a very similar feel, which is kind of a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So, But, again, one game. I'm not going to try to just say, oh, see, Freeman's just like Brian Kelly. That would be irrational and stupid. Let's see how it goes forward. Let's see if they learn their lessons from it and say, you know what? Yeah, we kept Ohio State's points down, but we still lost. So in this example that I've always said, Ryan, you know my stance on this, playing keep away means a 31-20 loss turned into Mm -hmm. a 21-10 loss. But you don't win those games because you play keep away. You still got to score when you get the ball. Right. And whether that's six possessions or nine possessions, you still got to stop them when you get the ball. And Notre Dame had chances to put Ohio State down, and they didn't do it. And when Ohio State had chances to put Notre Dame down, they did. And that's the difference in this game. And as I said the other night, I gained a ton of respect for C.J. Stroud because he did not Mm -hmm. play well. But when the game was on the line,
2: he did what he needed to
1: do. And so he went up on my book. He went up in my book.
2: And honestly, that was my biggest concern with C.J. Stroud going into the year from an NFL draft perspective is like looks good in structure, goes through his, his reads, all that good stuff. But he didn't seem to really make a ton of plays outside of structure. He killed Notre Dame in the fourth quarter, man, working outside the pocket and hitting the, the, the passes down the sideline. He looked good in the big moments. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, to your to your the question here, again, I just want to reiterate that I don't know what Tommy Reese thought process is. I'm not going to you know judge a person based upon that. And again, time will tell the true story here, right? And if it Mm -hmm. is a Marcus Freeman, you know, just wanted to play a certain brand of football, then guess what guys Marcus Freeman's also learning on the job, right? right? Like it's what, this is, this is a, his first true game as the head coach. I'm, I'm, I'm not counting the Oklahoma state game. We got a question about that yesterday. I don't count the Oklahoma state game. This was the first real game as a head coach in my estimation, in my opinion, and he's learning how to be a head coach still. So let's give it some time. I regards. do,
1: I do count Oklahoma State in some regards. Uh, the thing that I think we've learned about Marcus Freeman in his first two games is there's two things, and he said it. Uh, he said the negative on on yesterday. We got to finish. He said it after the game, we got. He said it 15 times. We got to finish. We got to finish, and his team has not finished in two games against top 10 opponents, Ohio State and Oregon and Oklahoma State. Ryan, they have led for all about 80 of those 120 minutes. Of those games yeah. they lost both of them they got to finish but here's the thing that we also learned and this is something i do think we can take away from the oklahoma state game because it he was the head coach even though the staff wasn't there ryan they were mentally and emotionally ready to play both games right they weren't they weren't afraid of the moment they weren't afraid of the opponent they didn't execute the way they needed to execute and they and they weren't able to adjust and pull, you know make the right moves the players didn't make the plays that they needed to do to win the games, but. They put them in position, so that's a much better place to be than they have been in the past, where they mm-hmm. weren't even competitive in these games more often than not, and and so that's a positive sign if you're looking for positive signs. But again, you're not you're not considered a success at Notre Dame because you were really emotionally, mentally ready to play in your loss. Right, you're judged at Notre Dame by being emotionally, mentally ready to play and then winning, and that's the thing that Mark to learned. And I'm really curious to see how Notre Dame reacts after they beat Marshall on Saturday. And we fully expect them to beat Marshall on Saturday. so I'm, I'm saying, but if they do in that situation, how does this team react? I wonder if there's almost kind of like, get that monkey off your back and now just go play, mm-hmm. you know, get, get that win and and then just go play. And uh, that's going to be interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how that, how that goes. All right, let's go to some more. We have a lot more. We have a super chat down here from Michael S. He goes, did Harry stand in the past have replaced, uh, d- Pass have replaced players during a season for bad play. How did it work out? Yeah, we've seen that. Uh, The 2014 offensive line got completely overhauled. I can't remember who got – I think Connor Hanready got pulled out, but they had Nick Martin at center. If you remember that year, Ryan, they had Christian Lombard at guard and Steve Elmer at tackle. And then it just wasn't working. So he moved Elmer back to guard, kicked Lombard back out to tackle, moved Nick Martin to left guard because he was having some issues with his wrist, and then inserted Matt Hegarty in the starting lineup. And I thought the offensive line played pretty well down the stretch. Now, the team didn't play well in late in 2014. But if you remember uh, that year, Notre Dame rushed for 99 yards against Louisville. That's because they had that play where, like, they snapped the ball and it went, like, 30 yards over Evergolson's head. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, but Torian Folson rushed for over 100 yards that game. And he was one of only two backs all year to to, to rush for over 100 yards against against uh, Louisville. And if my memory serves so serves me correctly, the only two running backs to go over 100 yards against Louisville that year were Dalvin Cook and Duke Johnson, along Pretty with good. Torian Folston. So, and and then of course they went out in the bowl game, uh, and then he he put McGlinchey in the starting lineup for the bowl game, and obviously they did really well. But they went for over 200 yards against Navy. They went for over 200 yards against Northwestern. They didn't run the ball a lot against Arizona State because they fell behind so quickly yep. that they couldn't run the ball. But I thought they and and then the first play of the game against USC, Josh Adams rips off a seventy yard run, if you remember that. But again, they just kind of fell behind and 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 couldn't get it going. But so we saw it then. We saw him make that change then. There have been times when we when he's done it, but honestly, um oh 26 2016. Remember mm-hmm. Colin McGovern struggled early at guard and he put Mark Harrell in. Yeah. And and Mark Carroll played better. So we have seen him do that before when it's necessary, but honestly his lines usually don't play to the level where he needed to make a replacement of somebody, but yes, he has done it before, uh, including moving guys around from positions when things weren't working. So it's not, uh, it's not completely abnormal. He'll, he'll make a change
2: if he needs to make a change. That's like kind of the
1: point blank to it, but let's hope
2: this, this offensive line develops and takes a step forward. So.
1: And Michael also had a super chase, as Marcus said yesterday. The problem with the O-line was youth. It is not like the BK excuse you used last year. Yeah, it was. I didn't like to hear that. But he, as he went to explain it, he he made it. He was talking about the youth was the other the tackles, and he's right; they're true sophomores. Blake Fisher made his third career start. He was more referring to it from an experience standpoint of starts, and he went on to explain it because the only guy that has the only guy on the that started yesterday, Saturday, that had more than ten. T- career starts was josh luck Mm -hmm. now is that an excuse that i'm i'm accepting no it's not you you should have played better sorry that's i'm not buying that uh because you are seniors but he was he he said youth but as he went on to explain he was talking about experience but either way it's not an excuse that i'm buying uh but yes it is very much so here's the difference however or here's the not the difference here's the question that we have to learn about marcus freeman is he saying those things to protect his team and players, but then behind closed doors saying, uh-uh, not good enough? That's the difference. Brian Kelly would justify, would say those things to justify him and him his decisions and his poor play and to protect himself. I want to see what's true. So, Ryan, I mean, look, end of the day, I don't care what he says publicly. I care about what you do privately. The reason Brian Kelly's comments bothered me is because that's also what we knew that he was doing behind the scenes. Yeah, And he wasn't making changes behind the scenes. So to your point, Michael, yes, that's not a thing that I like to hear. But I just don't know enough about Marcus Freeman yet to know what was, is he, because there were things he said on Saturday where he was clearly protecting his coaches, but you could tell he was pissed. Sure. Right? And so that's what we don't know uh, about him yet. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay if you're someone who says things like that in public, because I'm not throwing my coaches under the bus and the players. Because we used to always get pissed about Brian Kelly doing that too, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, one, my fault, it was Sam Mustafar's fault, and it was the quarterback's fault. And it was this guy's fault. And it was the defense's fault, or whatever else. It was never his fault.
2: So, well, Bri- Brian Kelly continued that trend after the LSU game. Oh, his I didn't listen to LSU his press was conference. Called. Was it yeah. bad? It wasn't terrible, but, you know, it was the same thing about, you know, uh, uh, we need to play better and not really mentioning the coaching aspect of anything, which is, you know,
1: fantastic. Sure, sure. It's always the players, always the players. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: All right. Uh, Speaking of uh, Robert Bishop asks, uh, how's BK feeling today? Anyone think that seat is a tad warm already? Uh, I don't know how LSU fans reacted to that game. Brian. I didn't listen I, to their stuff, so I couldn't tell you. I,
2: i'll I'll say this. I did see in a particular YouTube video that is like an LSU based one, Brian, and it seemed like a lot of LSU fans were not very happy after that mm-hmm. loss. So I don't know if that's the full pulse of the of the fan base, but it definitely didn't seem like they were particularly happy. And, Honestly, I was surprised that you didn't post that uh, – what was that, the SEC short video or whatever that you sent us? Like? It was on the
1: board. <laughs> Somebody I already put on it the on the board, yeah. I, I
2: missed it on the board. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So,
1: yeah. But, yeah, yeah that was I, I don't hilarious. Think, I, don't,
2: I don't think the fan base is overly pleased with the start because I think, again, there were clear coaching issues during that game. Sure. Right? It, w- it wasn't where you were just like, okay, their guys just aren't as good as Florida State's guys. Like, that wasn't the, the issue during that game. No. It was – the special teams blunders and, you know, mismanagement of the clock and different stuff like that. Like those were the issues during that game. So I I definitely think that the, the, I, 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 the general pulse, I think is that LSU was not happy, but they're going to chalk it up to, but it's just one game.
1: So, yeah. And then, and then I did see one thing. Somebody sent me one thing where one of the guys was like, uh, Saying something like, you know, they, they had all these mistakes and still almost won. I'm like, man, have we not heard that for a million times over the last 12 years? You know, it's impressive yeah. that they only lost by one when they fumbled two punts and missed a had a field goal blocked and an extra point block, Drop blah two blah, passes. blah 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, heard that before. Heard that before. Uh best coaching job ever for a coach that can have that much go wrong and still almost win. <laughs> so there's yep. gonna be a lot of almost wins in LSU's future. So, so. what I said yesterday, Ryan, I tried to yep. warn him. Tried yep. to warn him. Anyone listen? They got they got in their feelings and uh, didn't want to listen. Alan Watson, Brian Ryan, coaching question: You ever have a guy that practices badly but plays well, or is practice worry but not a gamer? I've never had a guy that practiced badly that mm. played great because I will never play a guy who's a bad practice player. I can't justify it. Now I have had some players that weren't great practice guys. For different reasons. Uh, I had a kid I've said, shared this before. Ryan, I had a receiver Duquesne named Michael Warfield, who mm-hmm. just, he was a really weird athlete in that he just, he was really tightly wound and he mm-hmm. couldn't get loose in practice. And you'd have, he'd all, I'd always be looking like, where's Michael? And he's over there laying down with a trainer, stretching mm-hmm. him out. Cause he just couldn't get, he couldn't get loose. And so, I mean, he was good in practice. So he just, he wasn't great. He didn't, he didn't strike me as a star, you know, but he was mm-hmm. like, okay, he's one of my best three. And, and so we're going to start him. And he was our backside guy. When he goes out in the first game of the year against Bucknell, and he he makes big plays, and then we go out to the next year, I think we played Butler in week two, and he just dominates. And it was like, okay, this guy's a gamer, right? And then we had another kid who on that team who was really good in practice, was just good in games, but not great in games. And then I had a kid at Christopher Newport named named Nathan Davis who just was like just couldn't lock in and practice. He you know just he wasn't a great practice player because he wasn't a great athlete, Ryan. But when Mm -hmm. the lights were on, the kid was just great. You know so but but they were both okay practice players, they were never bad practice players, right? So I could never justify. I, I've always said, look, okay, I get that Phil Dracovic's not a great practice player, but you still gotta play. He wasn't bad in practice, he just wasn't right. great in practice. What I've seen more is guys who are um like people have I had somebody say this Ian Book was considered a gamer. No, <laughs> Ian Book is exactly what Alan just said, he was a he was a star in practice. That was never the same player in games, but mm-hmm. that's my experience. I don't know what yours what yours is like. My, right? Mine's mine's more the latter,
2: Alan. On this one, I've had a lot of guys that look like Tarzan but play like Jane. If I'm being completely mm-hmm. honest, like they would look so good in practice. Brian, as a high school coach, the biggest thing that I had though was during summer practice, or you know, before before the uh, fall would start, before you're in pads, you would see these kids. Right, working out and doing all the type of stuff where you're like, Oh, that guy might be a dude, man. He might be a dude. And then you put the pads on, and you're like, Nope, not a dude. <laughs> Cause you can mm-hmm. tell, like, you could tell, you know, run that fa- run that way very fast, do this, you know, do run this drill this certain way, and they would look fantastic doing it. But then once they got in a game, it was just like it just wasn't there, you know, like yeah. they didn't process the game at all. Half speed so like, heroes,
1: baby. Yeah, Practice man. all Americans. Oh, yeah.
2: gosh, yes, yes. And then you would yeah. have the uh the kids on scout team, I'm going to vent for a second. The kid on scout team where you run a play, it's, you run it incorrectly. I'll run the same play over again. And then the kids, instead of doing their assignment, will run right to where the ball is going. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, practice, practice hero right there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah it, it was, it was a frustrating thing from high school. Cause I coached at a lower level in high school too. The, the same team I actually played for in high school. And you would have a glimmer of hope one time, you know, where uh oh wow, that kid might be a dude and then wasn't a dude. And it's very mm-hmm. unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Yep,
1: no doubt. I used to always it's like, oh man, this guy looks like or you see that kid that, like when you're when I first get to a school, you'd see this kid, you're like, wow, I was like, how'd that kid end up here? How's that kid mm-hmm. on at a one double A school or a D three school? And you're like, he's oh, six man. four. And then you watch him play and you're like, Oh, My, now I-, I get it. My first year, there. Well, my first year when I was at
2: Frostburg State playing, there was a freshman defensive lineman that year, who was literally no, no exaggeration, six eight plus and three hundred and twenty pounds, and it was a good three hundred and twenty pounds, and he could. Right, I saw him dunk a basketball jumping off of one leg, and I was like, oh man! But then you saw him play, and you're like. Oh, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not very good. That's that, right? That makes sense. But like off the field, you're like, Ooh, how yeah. I was like, Wow, I'm playing D3 football, but I think, I think we got an SEC kid that could right. come out
1: sucked through the cracks, but right,
2: nope, not very right. good football player. Not,
1: yep, very good. not at all. Next question that was a really good question. Siggy 13 says. Uh, Brian and Ryan, do you do you get the feeling that Ohio that this Ohio State performance by Notre Dame on offense was more about Notre Dame, Notre Dame overthinking it, or is this the team's ability? I don't think I can watch that uh, play calling eleven more times. There's no way Tommy Reese calls games like that. I mean, a, yeah. again, was it bad? Yes, but we just don't have any hit really any history, hardly any history of him calling games like that. Yeah. Right. So I mean, again. We have no history of it. Marcus Freeman said that's the game plan he wanted for this game against Ohio State. Now we're going to find out if that's Ohio State specific or if there's more to it, Ryan. And you know, for me, I think it was Ohio State specific. And so I think the the, the former of what he said, and I think it's the former is the first one, right? I always get those backwards. The first one is, oh is 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 where it is where I think they overthought it a little bit right I, or, or I, they or maybe took it too far like i understand the premise but they went too far with it a little bit in my opinion
2: i th- i think there's two sides to this and one of them for me is not the lack of team talents right? right i think that it's two things one i think they overthought it a little bit right like i think that they may have limited themselves in some areas and then also can we for a second give ohio state some credit like they played a gr- played really well in certain areas that they were not great at last year right like so i think you have to give the opponent some credit and then you also have to say but also Notre Dame didn't help themselves in this area, right? Like mm-hmm. I do, again, I do not think it's a lack of talent. I think it was a lack of trust in a lot of areas. And I think that it was a lack of also Ohio State played a go football game. Like let's right. give them
0: credit, man. They, they
2: fought they, defensively. And from an offensive line perspective, Ohio State was a much better team than I anticipated in the first game of the season. I was on the same wavelength with you. I thought later into the season, middle to late of the season, I was like, oh, well, that Ohio State offense line is going to be a lot better. That yep. defense is going to be a lot better. Cool. Did not expect the storm to happen in the first game right. where they looked that good on both lines. Like right. It just was different for me.
1: Yep, agree. Laker Irish asked, does the rise of Mickey and Morrison mean the sophomore class is squeezed out? It's, it's in the process of happening. I mean, are they squeezed out in regard to – The roster, I don't take the question that way. I'm taking the question that way of just out of competition for starting jobs. Well, I mean, I think there's something to that, honestly. I mean, they didn't turn to Ryan Barnes or Phillip uh, Riley or Chance Tucker when Cam Hart needed a breather or was struggling or injured because Cam was not 100% on Saturday. They turned to Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey. So yeah. And, and I think that that means those guys passed him up. Now, again, it's one game. Perhaps those guys were just the matchups they liked for this game. We'll find out. Right. But it would seem to be the case. And I'm not overly surprised because they've been cross training Ryan Barnes and you can't beat out Benjamin Morrison if you're cross training. But the other part is like, I'm not this. Yeah, this is kind of, I told you so I'll, I'll say it. I've been trying to tell you all for a long time. Benjamin Morrison was not a, Top 300 guy. He was way better than that. Way better than that. I've been saying all along, this is a top 100 kid, Ryan. I've been saying this from day one. This is a dude. Alabama does not go out to freaking Arizona to recruit corners who aren't dudes. I'm sorry. They just don't. And that's a team that Bama wanted Benjamin Morrison. Washington wanted Benjamin Morrison when Jimmy Lake was there. And Jimmy Lake puts a lot of corners into the NFL. It's one thing he definitely does. So the kid was always better than the rankings. I still never understand it. I, well, he didn't go to camps. I don't, do you not have film? Do, do, do you not watch games anymore? Like, do games not matter anymore? That is a dude. I've been telling people this. I graded him as a top 100 recruit, I graded him as a five star upside. And even I'm shocked that he was that way in game one against Ohio State. Like, yeah. I'm surprised that it was that quick. But he is a dude. He is an I absolute agree. dude. Now, he played great. I, again, I, I mentioned this
2: a little bit earlier about George Takis, but I had an agent buddy message me and say, uh, who's number 20
1: on <laughs> Notre Dame? Mm-hmm. I'm like, true Fresh Did you say you gotta, agent you gotta wait a little buddy? Bit. Yes, an agent okay. buddy was I, like,
2: who's number 20, man? I like, really
1: thought we were about to have a talk. I thought at first I couldn't. Did he say agent buddy or Asian buddy? Agent I was like, hold on buddy. a second. Let's hey, make sports- sure we specify. A sports okay.
2: a sports agent, agent man okay. said, "Who's number twenty? He looks yeah. like the best defensive back on the team." And I was yes. like, "He's only a freshman, man. You got to wait a couple years for this yep. guy."
1: Yes, but, back yeah. off, buddy. Back off. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> no, somebody he's, else
2: heard uh, agent buddy and well,
1: I, so. I I honestly was like, "Hold on a second. I want to make sure that that's said correctly, so we don't get a strike against us." No, uh, you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, agent buddy. He's a very he's long, he's athletic, but the thing we saw on Saturdays, he's really smart, he's instinctive, he just has a feel for the game. Seems kind of And he's a pretty too. tough kid too for a freshman. He's a skinny freshman and he played physical. But I he I thought he the way he undercut that in cut in route that he almost picked, mm-hmm. that's a veteran move. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't see that. And again, we shouldn't be overly shocked cuz his dad played uh, in the NFL but also was a really good player at Arizona as a defensive back. Mm-hmm. but he's a really good football player Ryan really good it's that, player,
2: and it's not even just the fact of you know seeing the end cut and kind of being proactive with it it's also the ability to make a decision to yeah to make the move you know and then like, have the speed happening. to close on it
1: yes, you know exactly. I mean that's the other thing so all,
2: all all parts were impressive on that play we
1: had in our intel piece before the summer we had a, a piece about Benjamin Morrison and how good he looked and that intel piece came from an offensive person so I was like okay well we'll see we'll see uh, but yeah, it looks looks like it was legit. And I had another really good uh, buddy who's a, a source who texted me. I swear to you, swear to you. He texted me. I think I told you this, Ryan, about a week and a half ago before the game. And he said, what I'm hearing from the people I know around the team is that the secondary could be the best part of the defense. And I said, dude, that no, right, no, right, right. But for the opener, it definitely was. And if that proves true the rest of the year, most likely that's going to be a really good sign for Notre Dame. Yeah. If this sec- if this is a repeatable performance, this team is going to be really good. I agree. Really good. Because If Notre-, yeah. Notre
2: Dame starts improving in the spots that we thought were going to be strengths and they carried what we thought may be a little bit of a weakness, then, yeah, man, I, I agree yeah. completely. If, if that secondary is as good as they looked in game one, then you're gonna be in a good spot you're gonna be in
1: a really good spot when it matters most no doubt all right next question from jay henry what's a good number of pass yards for buckner for you guys to feel comfortable with the offense versus marshall you know jay i don't know if i can give you numbers i think for me it would just be i mean if he only throws for 230 yards because you know he's out of the game by halftime Mm -hmm. you, you know what i mean like then then I don't know if that would be fair, but if he plays at least three quarters, Ryan, I got to think at least 250 yards. But the thing for me that I want to see more of, even more so than yards, I want to see a yards per attempt around nine in a game like yeah. this. That's where I want to be. Um, you know, and 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 I want to see the ball getting thrown down the field a little bit and it, successfully down the field a little bit. Yep. is something that I want to see from this game. So that uh, I, I – I, yeah, because he can throw for over three hundred yards and it not necessarily be impressive. Sure, you, you know what I mean. Like again, if he throws the three yard crossing route and Lorenzo Styles breaks nine tackles because the other team's not good, like Javon McKinley did to to New Mexico, then that that those yards don't impress me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's it's I care more about how it looks and how it's executed than I do more so the yards. I I agree. I, I think that there is. Again, like I've, I've been calling for the RPO,
2: right? If he just throws a bunch of RPOs and it's like that crazy number, like, okay, cool, cool type of thing, right? But I think that this is a game where you're going to have opportunities to create explosive plays. I think that – I mean, I have to think that, that Marshall is going to say, okay, we have a good second level of defense. We've got to stop the run. Like that's going to mm-hmm. be a thing that I believe, especially after seeing that game where you're just like, okay, they're struggling to throw the ball at points. And mm-hmm. I think that there's going to be a lot of one-on-one opportunities. There's going to be a lot of explosive play opportunities. And Tyler Buckner needs to make those. I mean, he does. Because mm-hmm. this is a big thing, Brian, because, again, it's Marshall. But this could be a confidence builder for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. man. like, this could be a game where it's just like, oh, okay, I can do this. And then the next mm-hmm. week, you get a little better. The next week after that, you get a little better. And then you lead up into a BYU or a Clemson, whatever whatever the case may be, where you need Tyler Buckner to open things up. Like, you, it's mm-hmm. a necessity now, not just a luxury at that point. So I think that this could be a big week to start building that
1: confidence. Let's build it. Let's build it. Get to the next question, uh, Robert Bishop, do you guys think Florida is for real or Tennessee? I predicted Florida to win that game because what I kept saying to people is last year was the anomaly year. That was the mm-hmm. team that was in the SEC title the year before, and the two previous years was a top-10 team in a major bowl game. Now, is Florida going to challenge Georgia for the SEC East? No. So they're not for real in that regard. But they are definitely a top 25 team talent-wise, Ryan. And I'm not surprised that they beat Utah, who I said is I'm just not impressed with. However, what I will say is I actually mm-hmm. did like how Utah played on Saturday. Played they tough. battled. They, were, they Florida just had better players, which is what I expected it to be. And Florida needed a crazy ending at the end to win the game. So mm-hmm. I actually came out of that game with more respect for Utah than I had going in to be completely. Again, it was like Notre Dame. They were not overwhelmed by the moment. They were not overwhelmed by the crowd or Florida's speed. They just got beat by a better team. Yes. And props to them for So I actually came away more impressed with Utah than I did. But Florida is – that's exactly what I expected Florida to be. They're athletic. They can run it. And Anthony Richardson's really talented athletically. Now, there's still some things he's got to develop with his game, but Mm -hmm. he's a really physically talented kid. And as he gets more experience, which he should have got last year, you know what I mean, Uh, then – He's going to be a really good player, but when you've got a dynamic quarterback like that who can just like the the game winner was not a oh, great play call, coach. It was well that guy's really talented. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know <laughs> that's oh, what it was. man.
2: He he did a few of those during that game too, man. Where it's just like break two tackles, spin out of a sack, like and just throw an absolute laser shot, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was my biggest thing about Dan Mullen. Brian was like, okay, you lost the team. Everybody was you know just. I kind of packed it in why was Emery? why was emory jones playing so right. much like i just don't right. understand especially after the season went derailed why are we still trotting out emory jones like why does why does a anthony Richardson only get one start last year right. like it doesn't make any sense my only
1: thought it, yeah. and i don't buy it my only yeah. thought all along was maybe he felt like because the team was so bad that he was afraid that anthony could lose confidence if he's out there getting his butt kicked every every saturday sure. even then it's kind of like you know I, I again i don't buy it i'm like that's the right. only somewhat acceptable excuse but i yeah. never thought they were that they were actually that bad they weren't actually that bad where that would have been a good excuse so i i don't i don't get it ryan
2: i, Fl- I really don't get it florida's always one of those teams that's going to have talent like there's never going to be an absence of talent because they're in a the hotbed right and they're going to recruits and they're going to do all types of stuff and i know you could say that you know, maybe the the previous coaching staff didn't recruit as well as you would want at a University of Florida, and that's fair. I accept that relative
1: to their standards, correct?
2: Yes, and to I their standards, hundred percent. And especially yep. when you are in where you are located in the country, there is not an excuse to not recruit at that at a higher level. So mm-hmm. I accept that with Dan Mullen. But that being said, there's still some really good talent on Florida. Right. I think you saw that on Saturday, right? Like uh, Utah is a good team. Tavion right. Thomas is a tough runner. Cam Rising is a good football player. Clark Phillips is a good football player. Like there is. A lot of good football players on that Utah team, but I think there's just in more depth and more talent overall on a Florida team. I right. well, I picked Utah because I thought the experience factor might be the the kind of the kicker for them to being the more successful team. But I'll say this, Brian: I have always accepted that Anthony Richardson is a stupidly talented player. I mm-hmm. mean, 6'4", 230 something that can run and that has a, that type of arm. One thing that I loved in that game from him is he was very confident, man. He did not flinch in the pocket. I'm like, oh, okay, this kid's got some moxie to him too. And as he continues to improve, you know, just a little technical aspects of from a footwork perspective and an accuracy perspective, there is a good, I I think, a really good baseline because if you're a confident player, then you you can play, you know, like you can play, especially when you have that type of talent. So I was overly impressed by Anthony Richardson, man. The hype that we've heard this offseason – Showed a lot of it during that game, man. He made some plays that you just can't teach. Can't teach at the end of the day.
1: Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Next question: In Tennessee, I mean, let, let's see Tennessee play somebody good first, right? I mean, with all due respect, beating Ball State fifty-nine to ten doesn't show me anything. I think Tennessee is going to be a top twenty-five team. I said they were a sleeper Agreed. team before the year, but what I'm what I hate is when people you take things that prove. You know that they have a confirmation bias, and it's like, yeah, that's not the kind of outcome you should be using that confirmation bias for. Beating Ball State fifty nine to ten does not all of a sudden prove that I'm right about Tennessee. I'm sorry, you could be a seven and five SEC team and still beat Ball State fifty nine to ten. I'm sorry. Yes. So I need to see them beat somebody good. We'll learn. I'll know a lot more about Tennessee after this weekend when they play Pitt at Pitt than we did after the opener.
2: I have a take, Brian. I don't know if this is a game that we're going to pick this week, the Tennessee pick game. So maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but I think I think Tennessee is going to roll pit this week, like I absolutely roll me. them. They Wouldn't are. Me. Tennessee is a lot of talent, man. Like I, they really are, like like I like I like Hen and Hooker a ton. I think that yeah. he's really fallen into a great situation. Jamari Small is a good running back. They have the the wide receiver that's name escaping me right now. The longer kid, but he's a really talented. Football Cedric player. Tillman. Cedric Tillman. Yep. Yeah. Cedric Tillman's a really good football player. They have some experience that has come back on that offensive line, Jerome nope. Carvin and 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 uh, the the right kid that plays, you know, left tackle, right tackle type of player. And they have a defense with Jeremy Banks and a few other players that I'm just like, this This is a good team. Tyler Barron, at defensive end like that. It, it's a very talented football team. So I, I think that Tennessee rolls pit this week. I really do. I think that they I think they are going to be a tough out in the SEC this year.
1: Agree. Agree, but I, I think we both also agree that let's see him do it against somebody good. Florida did it against somebody good. Let's see Tennessee do that. But I think yes. that's the battle for two in that division. That's the battle yeah. for two. With all due respect to okay. Kentucky. But again, now Florida's got to say, okay, that's a great win. Now, now, how do you handle success? Mm-hmm. That's something we got to learn, and that's something we're going to learn a lot about Notre Dame. When we said this during the offseason, we're going to learn how Notre Dame bounces back from defeat or how yeah. they handle success. Well, Notre Dame's got to prove they can bounce back from defeat. Florida's got to go show that they can handle success, because now they, you know, they had a, they had a great win this weekend. Okay, but you got a good Kentucky team coming into your home field this week. Can you mm-hmm. now build on that success? Because if they can start the season two and zero with wins over two ranked opponents, I mean, Billy Napier is going to build himself up a lot of a lot of love down in Gainesville in a hurry. You mentioned Will Levis. He looked pretty
2: good week one. Again, not against a great team. You know who looked really good in week one, Brian? And this is going to, like, I know you're going to be like, oh, okay, makes sense because he had a great game against Notre Dame in the final game of the year. Spencer Sanders looked fantastic in week one. I watched the film on him, Brian, and he just looked, he looks like a completely different player, man. Like he looks confident. Confident, comfortable in his own skin. And, I mean, I don't think anybody's ever questioned the talent that Spencer Sanders has. The kid has a
1: hose for an arm, but. No, he it's never good. been about his ability. It's always about can he read a defense? Can he throw on yes. time? Can he make those plays? It's, That's always been the question with him. And I,
2: I know I know it was Central Michigan, but he stacked back to back good games against Notre Dame well, and Central wasn't Michigan. Wasn't Central now
1: Michigan a weren't they a bowl team last year? Yeah, they I were. I believe they team. were. Uh, yeah, decent team you know, again, so yeah. it's 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 about understanding the quality of your opponent. I mean, Jim McElwain, I believe, is still their football coach, right? Yes, I believe you are right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a that's a decent football team that they went out and hung a lot on. Now, should they have given up as many points as they did? Heck, no. I remember Ryan was like, dude, I can't believe they gave up 16, 16 points to Central Michigan at halftime. And I was texting him a little bit. I was like, dude, it got worse. <laughs> you <laughs> you got were mad about worse. 16. You it know. was like 58 46 final or something yeah. like
2: that. Yeah. It was but like, I mean, they
1: yeah. were a 9 4 team last year. Uh, had a somewhat competitive loss to Missouri, lost to LSU on the road, mm-hmm. lost to Miami, and lost to Illinois, Northern Illinois by a point. They had a good win over Toledo last year. Uh, smacked. Beat Western Michigan at Western Michigan convincingly, beat Ball State convincingly, and then went into a bowl game and beat Washington State in a bowl game. So, a nice you know, game. that's a it's a good football team that Jim McElwain's building. They're fundamentally sound, they're tough, they're like his Florida teams were. Yep. fundamentally sound and tough, It just not schemed overly well at Florida, which was his problem. But it was never a lack of toughness. But I think I think Florida too is, as I said, Ryan, getting rid of Todd Grantham was the thing. That was going to be the thing that's going to turn them around, and Dan Mullen's inability to make that move is why Dan Mullen is currently unemployed as a football coach. Mm-hmm. And you know that's just that's what you got to do, Mister Shaughnessy. Brian Ryan, do we do we see the younger players this weekend? Uh, hope I hope so. I want to see the backers. I, they need to.
2: Yes, they need to. It, what was it you that
1: asked? No, it was Sean asked me before the game, before the show. Ryan, Sean Davis mm-hmm. called me after they got done recording there. So I goes, hey, do you think we'll see Junior this weekend? I said they better. Talking about junior Chalamaka, they better.
2: If you don't, if you don't see a, a big dose of freshmen this weekend, that are sophomores as well, some sophomores that haven't played, that is an issue. That means that this was a competitive football game, and again, this is a game where. I think Marshall is a better team than some people are going to give him credit for, but also you are a better team than Marshall. Like you just are flat out a much better team. So you need to roll this one. And this is that one of those games, Brian, like you get four games, right? You get four games to reserve a red shirt. This is a game where some of these kids need to play. You need to kind of see what you have. And I want to get them in a competitive environment where it's not just run, 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 run punts. Like, I don't, right. I don't want to see that. Like, I want to see them, let them play a little bit. Right. And for them to let them play, they need to get in a little earlier than just the last couple drives of the fourth quarter. Right. So mm-hmm. I think this is definitely a game where you need to see Notre Dame play some younger guys yes. throughout the game, throughout yes. the game, not even just at the I end. I don't want to see
1: Tobias game. coming in when they're up 27, three or something. Uh,
2: like that. And, I want to see just him run the
1: ball and series yeah. one yeah. or series two and get a shot. Irish Shy town Brian, do you think we'll be able to run the ball against Marshall and is running back by committee um, uh, best, or would you prefer a feature back who has 20-plus touches? Number one, just the 20-plus touch thing is just a rare thing in college football. There were really only, what, two power five backs, Ryan, that consistently got 20 touches a game last year, and that was Bruce Kenny Hall Walker and-, and Brees Hall. Yeah. That was That's it. Yep. Uh, yep. I've pointed this out before. When you go back and look at Georgia in 2017, in 15 games, Nick Chubb had, uh, t- had 20 or more carries in one game, and it was 20. You know, mm-hmm. it was a, it was a running back by committee because it was him, it was uh, Sony Michelle, and then they also would use DeAndre Swift that year. Yes, the problem Saturday was not the running backs per se. I didn't love the usage of it. I thought that uh, you look, you you got to tailor. We've said this before. You got to tailor your run game to your backs when they're in the game. But it was too tailored on Saturday. It was like Chris Tyree's just your jet sweep guy, Audric's just your duo ISO counter inside zone guy. You know. I, Logan Diggs didn't carry it enough to really know what he is yet. You know how they're going to use him, but it's like, you got to be able to tailor, but you still got to be able to run your stuff with all of them, you know? And I didn't like that part of it, but running back by committee is not a problem because Mm -hmm. it was not blocking was the problem, right? Right. If, if you to use the running backs the same exact way you did on Saturday, but the blocking was what it should have been. Then we're, we're talking about, wow, what a great three headed monster Notre Dame has a running back. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the reality of it. Right. And, you know, did, did Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson not know how to run in the first half, but then figured it out in the second half or was Ohio state starting to block better in the second half? Well, they were blocking better. And then those guys were because Mayan Williams didn't start running harder in the fourth quarter. He just had more room to run. He could get going downhill more because of the blocking. And then he made, he took advantage of it made, made great runs. So that's at the end of the day, that's the thing, guys. Is it's it's got to be about execution up front. Do that, yep. and they're going to be fine. They'll be fine. It, well, I, at no point did I feel it was a back problem on Saturday. No, you no. know that was that was like one of the last things I even thought about. If I'm being yeah.
2: honest, man, like it just, yeah. Like I think you mentioned it perfectly. It was a usage thing for me, like right. Because we've talked a lot. I mean, Brian, like I think that we, there are a couple running backs on this team that. I think have a skill set that you can use them in multiple ways. And I felt like to your point, I think it was very nichey on Saturday, right? Like it was just like, this is the guy, this is what they want to run. Like it was like, it was like Chris Tyree, all right? We're just going to run jet sweeps. So, the Aldrich Estimates just pure downhill guy. And I'm just like, it yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be all that they are. You know what I mean? Like I just felt like it was very like putting players in a box at points. Felt yeah. like to me.
1: Spanky has a great point. He goes, I think they legitimately thought they were going to dominate up front and didn't have a backup plan. And, and I think there's a lot to that. Sure. Because that's what you'd heard all campus. I like, man, the line's blocking really well. They're looking great. Now, one bad game doesn't mean that's gone, mm-hmm. right? It needs to get fixed. But for me, I, I think there's something to that. They looked really good running the ball in fall camp. I was told that multiple times. But then you get to the game, and, and this is why we say, like, let me see them do it right yeah we're hearing this but let me see him do it and i think i think i think spanky's right right i think they thought one thing was going to happen it didn't happen yeah. and they weren't prepared for the alternative don't disagree don't disagree I,
2: I think that there's a lot of layers to it right like you had confidence in yourselves as far as offensive line improvements the running back depth you have the quarterback run ability and then also again Ohio State was not a great defensive team last year. They were a much better team in game one than they were in the yeah. entirety of 2021 season. So when you couple those things together, right. I think Notre Dame did have maybe maybe overconfidence. Sure, let's sure. call it that, I guess. But, yeah, I think that they definitely had an assumption that, like, hey, we're going to be able to run the football and it just
1: – And protect the quarterback. It's there. Yes, That's the other yes. thing. Ohio State was not good at putting pressure on the quarterback last year. And the stuff they were doing to get pressure, some of it was really good scheme. But not stuff that we that they should have been unprepared for, right? I mean, you you and I talked about this stuff when we did our film session last Tuesday. When we talk about like they'll bring different guys from different places, you got to be prepared for it. They'll bring the linebackers on stunts and stuff like that. We talked about that last week, so it was just bad execution. I as mean, simple as that, it was bad execution. And and you're right, they didn't have because they did adjust, right? They did. This is the thing they did adjust in the second half. They threw deeper. They threw took several deep shots in the second half. Now there were some, there were some other adjustments they should have made that they didn't make. I mean, get, bring back some levels, bring back some crossers, you know, do some things like that. You know, they're king on Michael Mayer a ton. So move him in motion or put him somewhere not move him in motion, move him in motion if you want to get the ball, but then sit him somewhere. If you want, if you want to use him as a decoy, because then they're going to overplay him and then you bang a post right over top of it or something like that. You know I mean? Or, or have him run a 10 yard option route and then take a run to the safety of the post route and then bring like a deep, you know, overhead drag, you know, okay. Well, that sounds like a great plan, but you know what, that takes time to protect and they weren't giving them time to protect that. So there was also some limitations to some of the adjustments you could make schematically because you couldn't protect the quarterback. Right. And that was, that was probably the most disappointing thing to me was that even more mm-hmm. so than running the ball was that, uh, that was strange. yeah, Strange. All right, here we go. Here's an interesting one from, uh, Rob did Let's say in an alternate universe on a November 11th 1993 Pete Butzich doesn't drop the INT and we beat Boston College and Nebraska in the Orange Bowl. Obviously we have a national title, but did, but how did the next 29 years go? I I I, I think we were asked this before the summer right? I don't think things change. Hmm. I think that that was going to be Lou Holtz's last great team because he had lost some coaches. Uh, he wasn't replacing them well in my opinion. I mean, part of the reason they lost that year is because he hired Rick Mentor as a defensive coordinator and he wasn't that good of a defensive coordinator, right? That's why they gave up 41 points to Boston College. I don't think it would have changed a whole lot. I think the only thing it would have, as far as the what happened next, I still think they probably, I mean, it would have maybe given them, I don't know, maybe they could have got a better D coordinator than Bob Davey, but I don't know who that would have been. You, you know, I just, I don't know if anything would have changed because, you know, it just—I think it still would have played out very similarly, similarly as it did. I think what would have changed is how Lou Holtz is viewed. He's mm. already considered a great coach, but I think if he'd have had two titles at Notre Dame, things would look a lot different, in my opinion. But as far as the outcomes, because the reality is, is Lou would won that title while the school was fighting against the football team. That's what hurt Notre Dame. It's the school decided they didn't want Notre Dame to be great at football again, and that had happened before in the past. It's just the, the they didn't they didn't bring in an era that, to replace them. Those type of things, yeah. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Adam so, Andrew, Blair, with, I I, 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 I do ahead, like sorry. those
2: I do like those questions that are kind of like you know what ifs type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like have you watched like the um they're like the Marvel shows that are like the, what if this happened type of thing. So no, I've heard about it, but I've never, I've never seen it. They're interesting. I kind of like those types of
1: situations, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. What if this happens? It's a good one, but I just, I, I don't know if I think the only, what if I have Ryan Mm -hmm. is what if they would have hired Barry Alvarez instead of Lou, uh, instead of Bob Davey. That's the only, what if that I think would have had, like, I, I think, I think George O'Leary would have been better than Ty. Sure. But it's not like he's returning them to the Lou Holtz days. Mm-hmm. They would have been, he would have been a Brian Kelly type. Good, but not good enough. Right? Right. Uh, that's the only thing that to me would have been different. I, I think if, if they would have said, the only what if I have, again, mm-hmm. is if Barry would have been hired instead of Pop Davey. For that's two different old,
2: sides yeah. of it, too, right? Because yeah. it's oh, like, that's what would Notre
1: Dame be? But then yeah. we'll also, what would have happened with Wisconsin? <laughs> like, right, it's a, it's a good point. It's a good point. It's a really good point. Really good point. Adam Blair with a question here. Guys, do you think Notre Dame should start recruiting bigger offensive linemen and D, kind of like Bama and Georgia? I was curious because Justin Scott is a perfect fit for that. I I'll push back a little bit on that. I don't think Justin Scott's a perfect fit for the Georgia and Alabama defense. I think Justin Scott's a perfect fit for a dominant defensive line, no matter what you do. Right. I mean, three he's man, a great man, player. He can be matter. a, he can play yeah. a three, four DN spot. He could play a nose. He could play a three technique and a four down. He's a great player. And it's not necessarily because of his size, it's his size plus athleticism combination. Yes. yes. Do, does Notre Dame need to start recruiting defensive line, bigger defensive linemen? Marcus Freeman would say yes, which is why they are doing that. So, Adam, I think you're, you're on to something. I do think they need to get bigger up front. It's just mm-hmm. you can't fix that in one offseason. You know, so you look at Bubakar Traore, 6'4", 250-plus. Brennan Vernon, 6'5", already over 270 defensive ends. Devin Houston, 6'5", over 280 already. Brandon Davis Swain, as a junior, 6'4", over 240, big kid. Uh, Keon Keeley, super long and twitchy. You look at the kids that they're recruiting, uh, and, you know, Eliza Rushing, great length and size. Oh, Nigel Ar, Smith. Armel Armel Mookum Armel Mookum. Well. That's another yeah. one. 6'3, 6'4, 250 plus pound kid with a great frame. So, yeah. Adam, I think you're I think I think you're on to something. I do that. do think that they want to get bigger and longer up front while maintaining athleticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to look like Georgia because it's a different defense. It's a different kind of defense. Georgia needs a 300 plus pounder nose tackle. Notre Dame doesn't need it. If you can get one, great. You don't need it. Uh, so, but offensive line wise, I have no problem with the size of the players that are recruiting. I mean, this current, nope. this incoming freshman class is going to be massive. That yes. was a concern that I had about Jeff Quinn's recruiting mm-hmm. because he was recruiting smaller, skinnier guys. I mean, Tosh Baker was always going to need to add a lot of weight. Michael Carmody was going to need to add a lot of weight. Emil Wagner is a kid that's going to need to add a lot of weight. Uh, Caleb Johnson is a kid that needed to add a lot of weight. Joe Walt's a kid that needed to add a lot of weight. Now, he had the DNA and it's worked out, but other than like Blake sure. Fisher and maybe Rocco, Ty Chan, right? Most of the guys they've recruited have been need to add a lot of weight guys. Where mm-hmm. if you look at the the first class for Harry, Joe Otting's the only guy like that that I can really think of. I mean, Elijah Page is already over 300 pounds. He has a much yep. different frame. Like he can get a lot bigger, but he's got a much different frame than Tosh Baker had from the same high school right? Yep. Charles Jagas is already huge. Sullivan Abster's is already huge. Sam Pendleton's already over 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's something to that, but I don't think they need, they need or can recruit a bunch of 330 pounders. Cause you just like guys like Blake Fisher just aren't in the North a whole lot. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're just not, a, they're, they're more kids. You'll find them in Texas and Louisiana and Georgia and Alabama and places like that. That's usually where you find them North Carolina. And you're just not going to get a ton of those guys. You're going to get more of the Mike McGlinchies, the Liam Meikenbergs. And, and that's fine. I mean, those guys are part of great lines. Every now and then you'll get a Quentin Nelson in the north. Every mm-hmm. now and then you'll get a Blake Fisher in the north. But more often than not, you're going to get Joe Alts and guys like that. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Uh, so, you know, again, Notre Dame's lack of si- Notre Dame's size on the offensive line was not a reason why they struggled on Saturday. Yep. And especially once they get Jared Patterson back because he's got a little bit more beef to him than Andrew Christophe does, but no, that that's not the reason why. Defensive so, line wise, though, yes, I do think they need to get bigger. Yes,
2: yes, yep. Interior defensive line, there's no doubt about it, especially. But I mean, offensive line wise, Brian, I mean, if Jared Patterson plays, you every one of your
1: starters is over three hundred eight pounds, right? Three hundred eight or, or bigger, and right. Well, I mean, yeah. Once Christophe replaced Patterson, that changed because he's only yes. three hundred even. Sure. But, yep. yes, your, your your normal line. Like, Zeke Carell's issue on Saturday was not size. No. It wasn't. It no. was he stopped his feet. And I don't care if you're 325 pounds. If you stop your feet and a guy that's 280 doesn't stop his feet, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose. That's just the reality of how it goes. No doubt about it. All right, let's keep rolling through these. Michael S., uh, what do the linebackers need to do to improve? You want to handle that one there, Ryan? Yeah, sure.
2: I think that for me, it depends what position you're talking about, right? I think that the thing that is key from linebackers in general is have to have great eye discipline. I think that that was lacking at some points in the game, more from a Maris Leifau perspective. You know, at times I thought that he just was maybe a tick slow and he's a guy that hasn't played football in a while, right? So I expect kind of that natural maturation from a J.D. Bertrand perspective. He's in a proper position. He just needs to finish plays. I mean, he does. There was too many missed tackles, especially on that 95-yard touchdown, where just you know, you're you're just you're not getting the ball carry on the ground. So I think it's about being a little more aggressive, being a little more trusting in your eyes and your technique, and being in a proper place. Like if you if you trust your eyes and your trigger -trigger, post-trigger, you're going to be in a good spot. And after that, it's about let's have consistent tackling technique. And I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be better than what they were on Saturday. I think there was some solid signs from the linebacker position just in general, but they definitely need to be better. There's no doubt about it. And I think that starts with trusting your technique, good eye discipline, triggering, and trusting yourselves, right? At the end of the day, if they trust themselves, I think they'll make a lot of plays. I, I do think that there were times, J.D. and Marist both, where I think they got kind of in between trusting themselves and getting a little too far outside of their thought process. And Mm -hmm. I think that those things cost them some missed tackles, overrunning plays, underrunning plays. All those things happen when you don't trust your technique.
1: Next couple weeks, I want to see JT Jr. to Alamaka play. yeah, And I want to see a little bit of Jalen Sneed. Mm -hmm. Now, it's okay if it's once the game's in doubt. I'm okay with that, with with Jalen Sneed. But I want to see Jalen Sneed this weekend, and I want to see Josh Byrne this weekend, and I want to see Jordan Pitello be used as a pass rusher. They need some speed up up on the uh, on the edge. And I and I was a little surprised. I thought maybe he was suspended, but he played some special teams. So I, you know, that was the only, that was the only personnel head scratching move from Saturday. Me saying JT needs to Junior Chiumaconda needs to play isn't be, like well they have beat Ohio State if he didn't played on Saturday. Uh, I get why he didn't play. That's not yeah. the matchup for Junior Chiumaconda to thrive. It's not. Just like I don't know how much I'm playing him against USC, right? Mm-hmm. Unless it's kind of like, you know, let him rush off the edge or something like that. It's just not the matchup for him. Maybe in the second half when it was clear Ohio State was going to run the ball, maybe it might have been good to get him in there. But moving forward, I want to see him because there are some games where that's going to be a little bit better of a matchup for him. But I want to see Jalen Snead because they like the, they got athletes at linebacker, but that kid's really athletic. And they need to, yeah. they need to kind of force feed that one a little bit against the Marshalls and the Cows and the Syracuses and the Stanfords and the Navies. They need to force Jalen need a little bit in those type of games and mm-hmm. get him rolling. Keith Wiegand says, what do you guys think? What do you guys want to see from the offense as far as points and yards this week uh, being an improvement? I mean, it's not so much about the points and the yards. I just want to see them be aggressive and execute and be physical. I want to just see them, you know, I care more about yards per play. I want to see them up over six yards a carry, at least in this game. I want to see them averaging – you know, nine, nine or more yards per pass attempt in this game on Saturday. Now, if they get even higher than that, it's even better, you know, but again, this is a, this is a team that led their league last year in yards allowed per attempt and and, and was second in yards allowed allowed per completion, unless I got that backwards. They were first and second in one of those two categories. I think it was first in yards per attempt, second in yards per completion. So Mm -hmm. I want to see you go out and have some success against them in that regard because your dudes are still better than their dudes, right? So, you know if, if they only score 40 points, it's it, it is what it is. If they score 38 points, it is what it is. I'm not going to be happy, but as long as the execution is there, the aggressiveness is there, guys are making plays, the line's playing better. I can live with that. I'll, I it won't be great, but I can live with it. Now, if they get it, if they score 50 plus, but we're not seeing better execution, they're just be, they're just way better dudes than Marshall. That's the whole point. Is it's the points aren't going to answer this for us, right? If they score 59 points on Saturday. Because they defense plays great, and, and they're just way better than Marshall, and they just kind of run them over. And it doesn't necessarily tell us that they're going to be better prepared to beat North Carolina or, or, or BYU or Clemson or USC or a rematch against Ohio State. It's about the execution. It's about you, you use your weapons. Be physical up front. I want to see guys moving their feet. Because here's the thing. Holes that got destroyed against Ohio State could be 50-yard runs against Marshall if you block the exact same way – because Marshall doesn't have Ohio state's dudes. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's, it's, it's not so much the yards and points. If we see them hitting guys and stopping their feet, but Chris Tyree is still bursting through for a 50 yard touchdown. Did they really get any better? No, it's the offense is still not good. It's just, your dudes are way better than their dudes. What right. I want to see is Zeke Carell and Josh Lug and Andrew Gustav and Blake Fisher and Joe Walt coming off the line and the tight ends too. And, hitting guys and then driving their feet and finishing blocks. That's what's going to say, okay, all right. They realized that they didn't do what they needed to do, and that's better. And if that only results in 40 points, okay, there's still work to be done, but they took a step, right? Hopefully it results in – we see both a lot of points and that. Sure. But, you know, part of the reason, for example, that like like Western Kentucky scored a 50-plus points on on Marshall last year, something they, they didn't give up a lot, is because – they throw it a ton and they run a million plays. Notre Dame is not that kind of team. Right. So I don't know if they'll necessarily get there, but I'd like to see it. Sure. Certainly would like to see it. Yeah, I'm not going to put a number on it. I think to reiterate what you said, because I agree with it
2: 100%. I'm a film guy. I know you're a film guy, right? I it- It's about passing the eye test, right? Like I don't need numbers in front of me to say like, wow, they looked a lot better today. They looked a lot crisper. The offensive line looked better. Those now the, the scoring and the yard totals and yards per play, all that good stuff can quantify that to what your eyes saw. But at the end of the day, I need to see good football. Like that just all comes down to, I know it's a boring answer for some, but I need to see Notre Dame just look a lot more impressive than they did and a lot more engaged and a lot more, focus on the technical aspects of playing their position. Those are the things that I need to see. I don't need to see a yard total specifically. I don't need to see a point total specifically. I need to see improvement and I need to see mm-hmm. good football
1: on Saturday. That's right. all I need to see. Right. I want to address this because I'm seeing this a lot. It's on, yep. you know, somebody on Twitter was like, uh, was oh, disrespectful. They showed disrespect in their name by Ohio state beating them and then falling to number three. I don't think that Ohio State falling to number 3 was anything other than a correction. What did I say this off season? Georgia is not going to have the fall off people think. Now Georgia is not going to be as good as they were last year and they're not. I thought Oregon was bad on Saturday. Like Georgia mm-hmm. played great Ryan but Auburn Oregon sucked. I mean yeah, it was it bad. was it was both, right? Mm-hmm. But Georgia should have never been third. With all due respect to Ohio State, Georgia should have been no lower than second, right? And even then I still would have put them one. But yeah. this is a correction. Ohio State had a great win on Saturday. They beat the number five team in the country at home by 11. That's a great win. Yeah, Georgia beat the number 11 team on a neutral field in their backyard by 46 points. Right? That's a little different. And mm-hmm. so that's what the jump was. It had nothing to do with who who – the only way Ohio State was going to be able to stay at three – the way Georgia played against Oregon was if they blew Notre Dame out. That was it. That was it. Right. But you got to think about it. Also, I think the perception is, uh, I mean, they didn't cover the spread, right? I mean, that's dumb, yeah. but that's how some voters are, and it's also why we like to talk about the polls. But it, that's why I'm also glad that they don't matter at the end of the day. All right, uh, Siggy said Ryan, what are your thoughts on taking a toddler to a game? Meaning with travel, I have two toddlers and can't 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 convince the wife it'll work. Well, Siggy, I guess my first question would be, how are you getting to the game?
2: Like, how far are you from Notre Dame? We drove from South, uh, from New Jersey to South Bend, which was about a ten-hour drive, right? So it was rough, if I'm being honest, right? Like we stopped kind of halfway there to just kind of chill for a night, and then got there the next day, and it was, I mean, it's it's not it's not fun traveling with a toddler, for being honest, right? Like that's not too much fun. The one thing I will say is you need to try to coordinate your naps. If you do convince the wife to let you go coordinate the naps so that hopefully she is in a good mood during the game. Cause the one thing that Jules did not do a great I, thing for was during the, uh, the spring game, Brian, like we took Jules out there and she, she was done after about the first quarter and a half. And she's like, all right, I need to walk around and I need to leave this game. And we had to, we ended up leaving the game a little bit earlier for the spring game, which, you know, it's just a spring game. So not a big deal. But she did a great job, in my opinion. Juliet's on kind of chilling, walking around a little bit, doing some good stuff, you know, but it is definitely Get some snacks, get some rest, try to time up the nap. That's the biggest thing for me is trying to time up the nap because you don't want to deal with a grumpy toddler during an
1: important football game. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. All right, last few before we get out of here. Ed said three. Uh, Brian, I honestly thought you wrote the episode of SEC Shorts. Uh, They were in my head. Ed. It I did really not write was, it. Man. They were so in my head. I mean, I'm like, dude, I've been so this is everything I've been saying. It took them one game to figure it out. One game to figure it out, Ryan. I really did think you wrote it when they were talking about like, oh yeah, oh it's 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 all the players' fault. It's
2: not my fault at all, or whatever it was. Right. It was so
1: funny. So yes. funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh that was that was classic stuff. I I mean I just oh Ryan, I I was weak. I just <laughs> Is like That's, are you sure this is okay uh, yeah our wide receiver was trash and he just he's like <laughs> are you sure this is okay he's like he's got a two thousand dollar nil deal with raisin canes or something he'll be fine uh, uh so great so great so absolutely great uh, it was so classic i just i enjoyed it thoroughly and of course all the lsu fans are all in their feelings and responses like same people i saw the same people responding on twitter to them as this was poorly done and just because something's making fun of you doesn't make it poorly done. I've seen them crack jokes on Notre Dame in the past, or it's kind of it's kind of funny. You know what I mean? Like it's like okay, I don't agree with it, but it's it's funny. Like lighten up. If that made you mad, then you're the problem. Lighten the heck up. This is kind of what they do. Uh, did you see the one where they had Utah and um, Oregon's coaches coming going from the future? So they no. went. You know that when they lose a the game, the guys are all beat up and bandaged. So they mm-hmm. had their coaches go back into the future to the to the pregame speech to try to like tell them to like you know what was going to happen. It was hilarious. It was really <laughs> funny. It was really funny. really funny, man. Really I funny. like the report cards. Have you ever seen the ones where they do like report cards? Oh, it's really. Funny. I don't think so. If you haven't watched them, you should. the, the best ones they ever did though, and I'll, I'll still say this is when is during COVID when it mm-hmm. was the ACC and the bit in the SEC were going to play. That yeah. whole those two skits were just classic and then like the the pack 12 is like this nerd that just follows the big 10 around the big 10 was like this somewhat like attractive lady you know what i mean like they were trying to make her like you know i think i'm i think i'm hot stuff you know the way she carried herself like she's like thinks she's hot stuff that's how the big 10 carries itself you know what i mean yeah i thought yeah. how they the character they picked for that and how she conducted herself was like perfect in explaining the big 10 you know what i mean and mm-hmm. then the S- pack 12 is like this tall nerdy looking guy that like can't kick a football I'm like we're we'll take you but we're not taking them she's like that's fine <laughs> you know just <laughs> leave behind. it was so great that's awesome it was so great i I think those things are just incredibly well done yeah and the well uh
2: done. the jo- what what's his Joey? what from Barstool Joe yeah, yeah Molinero.
1: Yeah, yeah his 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 one his the one he did uh, with Brian Kelly, Saban,
2: Saban and Kelly. Yeah, so, yeah was Brian,
1: the how part. the hell did you get on this call? <laughs> it was so <laughs> great, it was so great. Because <laughs> he's arguing with Jimbo Fisher, yeah. and then he just does. He's a Jimbo, a super high pitch, talking many miles an hour, and then Brian Kelly, you know, gets on there with his little Savannah accent, and and he's just like, "Oh, it's so good, Brian. How the hell did you get on this call? All right. All right. <laughs> it was so good, so good." <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious! I was. Wonderful. I might have to go watch that after this is over. Oh yeah, have you have you seen it or are you just? Oh, like watching I've seen it a million. Again? Yeah. I've seen it a million times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go watch some of the SEC shorts ones. Those are really really good. That's they're really cool. well done. Really well done, and they have like different actors and actresses all the time. Like, go watch the one from when Georgia lost to South Carolina in 2019. Mm. It was so great. It was really good. Like every time they're going to show highlights, he's like changing the channel. He's like cutting the cord because he's trying to make it was the- his girlfriend's the college football playoff. And he's wearing a Jordan. Then at the end, uh, this lady shows up with like condolences flowers, and then she turns around and realizes what happened. She's like screams really loudly. It was just really (laughs) funny. It was really it was hilarious. Very well done. Anyway, that is going to do it for today's show. Everybody, thank you all so so much uh, for everything today. Uh, Being with us, great crowd today. Uh, Before you leave, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Uh, And, of course, if you're listening via podcast, give us a five-star review. Sign up for the message boards. We have a lot going on. Just because Notre Dame lost does not mean we are slowing down. We're going to keep going. Notre Dame's going to keep going. and We're going to have a lot, a lot, a lot of great content for you tonight. We will not have a show tonight uh, because Sean Stiers is out and Vince isn't able to do the show, so there will be no Ivy Nation sports talk tonight. But they'll be back tomorrow as well uh, on Wednesday, and then we'll have a show on Thursday as well. So, everybody, have a great rest of your night. Uh, We will talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown podcast.